and welcome to the Dear Dyslexic podcast series. I'm your host and fellow dyslexic Shay Wissell. Dear Dyslexic is a community and resource space for everyone, but in particular for young people and adults who have dyslexia. One of the areas that I find particularly tricky with my dyslexia is getting things in the right sequence, and that's an area that my guest also has struggles with. But she has turned what some would call scatty into a skill. She's a writer, a comedian, and a lady who is allowed to ride a bike without a helmet. She's a passionate advocate, working extensively as a patron and volunteer in the community for a variety of causes, including being involved in the National Dyslexic Working Party. And she herself is dyslexic. And I'm very pleased to welcome today the one and only Catherine Devaney. Thank you, Catherine, for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Part of my research on you was that you don't like to wear a helmet when you ride a bike. No, I don't. I don't wear one at all. I don't wear a helmet when I wear, as a as a cyclist, as a motorist, as a pedestrian, or as a public transport user, or getting out of shower because getting out of the shower is the place where you're most likely to incur a head injury. But um, I understand the science behind um, helmets, and I know that I'm the, the way that I ride um, and the clothes that I wear and the bike that I wear and the age that I am and the gender I am that I'm much safer not wearing a helmet. So yeah, I was just out there with my little red riding hood out in the rain. It's now drying on the heater. Anyway, that's a that's a whole other podcast, Shay. That is a whole other podcast. Um, so. One of the reasons I asked if you could come and have a chat with me today was to talk about experiences growing up with dyslexia and um, your work life. So can you just give us a little bit of a background to how you were at school when you were diagnosed with dyslexia, what issues you came across or um, challenges? So um, I was a very kind of bright, very social, very creative kid um, who was terrible at spelling Terrible at times tables, not very good at, at um, he, uh, like following instructions, and that didn't fuss me at all. I still don't can't tell my left from my right. I still don't know my times tables, um, and I've re- written eight books. So, um, and because I appeared quite like a lot of dyslexic kids, quite capable in some ways. Um, people they said I was lazy and I wasn't concentrating enough and I needed to apply myself. But when you're dyslexic, from a very early age, you're told this is how you learn how to spell, you just write it over and over again and you remember it, this is how you learn your times tables, and you find very early on that they don't work. So you tend to be very cynical and sceptical about all instructions that you get about how to do things. And I think almost all dyslexics, and two of my kids are dyslexic, my sister is dyslexic, I think another couple of my family members are dyslexic as well, that uh, we tend to just... Basically, the way we might nod while you're giving us instructions, but but we want to say, show us the end product, and we will find our way there, because we the normal rote learning and kind of logical thinking, the processes are not usually the things that work for us. So, growing up, very creative, could kind of work anything out, but couldn't rote learn. Was never identified. Was just told I was, you know, lazy, not trying, not concentrating hard enough, needing to apply myself because I was, you know, very typical. Had a uh, had a um, uneven profile. Presented with an uneven profile. Um, almost failed Year Twelve English. Uh, went off to university. I have no idea how I actually got through with an arts degree, but. I managed to get through 
writing essays and all that kind of stuff. Never did particularly well, just got seized, didn't really care about it, understood what was going on, but was never a great essay writer, couldn't really understand the, the logic of it. It was very good when the I was asked to apply the knowledge and understanding that I had and very lateral thinking and problem solving, being able to use different things from different domains. Um, using a keyboard was a huge, huge help. As, as, as keyboards have developed, so too has my writing. If it wasn't for keyboards and spell check and all of those kind of things, I would not have been a successful author and someone who's published in over a thousand columns in the Ace newspaper and, you know, been on Q&A five times, all those kind of things. Mm. Um, so I was a stand-up comedian and I was a, a television comedy writer and was starting to use keyboards in the writers' rooms. There's not so much writers' rooms anymore. And the more access I had to keyboards, the more that my writing flourished. I was always, you know, quite apologetic about my spelling and not knowing my left and my right and, and always kind of thought there was, might, you know, that... But I would throw around things like I'm probably dyslexic or something, but I didn't really know what dyslexia was. You know, I, I thought it was... And, and like a lot of dyslexics and people who uh, have got, you know, Asperger's in their family and stuff, there was a lot of people in my family going, oh, you're just like this relative or that relative, and that's normal because you're just like that person. So I would throw around that, that word, but I didn't really know exactly what it was. And it was like, I think I thought that, you know, dyslexics were dumb people who who read backwards or upside down or something like that. I don't really understand it. I do remember my mum taking me to an optometrist when I was 10. My mum refuses to believe that this happened, but I vividly remember it. And she was taking me because my um, my reading aloud was kind of quite jolted and snagged. I snagged quite a lot when I read aloud. And um, it was reading from the board or something like that. And she took me along to an optometrist in Greensboro. And I remember this optometrist saying, I think this kid is dyslexic. And my mum said, oh, what nonsense, you know. She can read. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. And you should have that chased up. But do keep in mind this was in the late 70s. And Australia, this was certainly not something that, that people embraced or thought about. Or, you know, they wouldn't have liked the idea of... of, of diagnoses and identify, you know, being people being identified in the way that we're much more relaxed with this kind of stuff now. You've got, oh, this kid has Asperger's and this kid has ADHD and this kid is dyslexic and this kid has auditory processing. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, good. I'm glad you told me that. It will help me, you know, it will help me have this person kid in my house or in my class or whatever. So um, then I had Dominic, my first child, who just loved books, absolutely loved books, loved loved information, books being read to, loved catalogues with pictures of Brio and Lego and, you know, I don't know, the the robot encyclopedia and all of the Star Wars books and stuff. I couldn't read, couldn't read till I was about 10. And um, eventually um, had him, as uh, like took him along to Spilled to find out what was going on because I just kind of thought he was a late bloomer. I thought, oh, he's like me, I get it. So we went along to spell to get him assessed, and I remember them saying, "So does anyone in your in your family have learning disabilities or learning issues?" And I said, "Well, if Dom's got something, I've got it too, because I understand how he could read a word as was on one page, saw on the next word page, mm-hmm. and not be able to read it at all on the final page." And so he went in and did all his tests, and out he came um, with, you know, fairly, you know, between moderate and profound dyslexia and dysgraphia as well. He didn't crawl, and I think, I think I didn't crawl either. Um, so 
um, like a lot of people, I got identified at the same time as Dom did. And it was great um, to be able to get it and go, oh, and my sister, like my sister also um, went, like we, we went, she went, oh, me too, you know. And so it's been, I think that there is the, the case is still out on diagnosis and identification of certain things for certain kids. It's certainly been very positive for me and very positive for Dom. Dom's now 18 and he's doing year 12. He's 200,000 words through writing his first book wow. and is loves words, loves stories, loves all that stuff, but needs, um, needs, Assistance. So, what assistance have has he been? What have you been able to provide to him to get him through to Year Twelve? Um, three things, four things, most importantly. This is what people go. Oh, my kids do dyslexic. Oh, you know, yeah, but they're very smart too. And they always say, I think they're dyslexic, but they're gifted. And oh. it's like you got to drop all the labels, babe. Um, number one. Keyboards, 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 get them onto keyboards. This handwriting fetishizing is really bad for dyslexics. There's plenty of other ways they get fine motor coordination, doing Lego, knitting, sewing, ropes, all of that kind of stuff. Um, keyboards are absolutely fantastic for dyslexics because not only do they teach them how to spell with the spell check because they've got that little red line underneath it, so it kind of gamifies writing and language. It also... Because we have problems decoding and encoding and because we see in shapes and pictures, it gives us the same shape of the word over and over again. It's because we're looking at uniform font. It's the same thing that we read in books yeah. and we will be able to to create that and then we read it in books and it reinforces the way that things are meant to be, to be spelled properly. Um, so it's a bit like predictive text in a way, because if you've got a kid who is dyslexic, their handwriting, even if their handwriting is good, it's very unlikely to be as uniform as fonts, which yeah. is reinforcing again and again, this is the correct way to spell, this is the correct way to spell, because A, the red line's not being there, and this word that you got right is the same word you're reading in, in books. Audio books, not with the book. Put the book away, just listen to the audio books. How does that work? Well, because a lot of the ways that dyslexics have issues is because we kind of hear everything at once. It's almost like a big kind of bowl of salad um, thrown at us at once when we're hearing words and speaking. When you listen to an audio book, it's very well spoken and very well recorded, and it's quite quiet. So not only do we hear how things are pronounced, which does help us in some ways spell, it also helps us read because if we hear these stories and we hear the words following each other, we start to learn in the same way that predictive text um, works what, what words that we expect to find in our reading. So number one, keyboards. Number two, audio books, but without the books. Number three, a tutor um, in the areas that he felt he needed, um, that he was kind of struggling with at school. And so that kind of toggled back between English and math and English and math, and then basically it was math, and now he doesn't do math anymore. So um, he doesn't deal, he doesn't have that tutor anymore. So I tell people with dyslexic kids, get them a good tutor who can back them up in the stuff that they're learning at school. 
there's two things they can do. One means that if the kid is at school and he's not understanding what's going on, that they don't go, oh, my God, the teacher, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. I'm never going to be able to get it because mum and dad can't explain it to me in a way I understand. If you have a good tutor who can work with all different kinds of, you know, neuro-not-typicals, when they are struggling at school, they go, oh, that's okay. I'll just explain it to Christine on the weekend. So Christine was Don's tutor and Christine is now Charlie's tutor, who's my youngest child. So that they don't get panicked because they know that they can just, they've got somewhere to ask the question and, and to be taught in a way that they understand. Charlie says about Christine, he's a little one, he says one hour with Christine is worth three weeks at school. And wow. so he's now 13 and he learns the mathematics stuff before with Christine that he does in class. So by the time he gets to class, he's had it explained to him in a way that he understands and he just feels so confident and he's not sitting there going, I don't get this, I don't get this, I don't get this. The fourth, which is the most important thing, is so we've got keyboards, we've got audio books. Have them tutored in the areas that they need help with. Also get them tutored and mentored in something that they are brilliant at. Now this came to me when Dom said, I hate having a tutor. I really like Christine, but I hate having a tutor. Um, if you know, you say that I've got a tutor because I've got an uneven profile, if that's the fact, if that's the case, why don't I get tutored in the things that I'm good at? And I looked at him, he was 12 or 13, and I said, what would you like to be tutored in? And he said, cosmology, I want to be an astrophysicist. And I said, okay. So I found a PhD candidate called Belinda um, from Melbourne University, and she came out and tutored him in cosmology. So it's really important to have them um, support them in the areas that they need help in and also support them in the areas that they excel in. So that you can talk about it's a they, you can talk to them about having an uneven um, profile. So they have it's like yep you're very good at that and you, we need to support you in your learning in that thing you're good at and we need to support you in that thing that you're not so good at. And that's so a great way. So they're the way. four things that are most there's all these programs and all that kind of stuff online. I just keep it simple. I say audio books, keyboards, a tutor, and a mentor. That's it. And therefore, really easy. And realistic, and I can relate to every single thing you're talking about. Well, the thing is that people have get kids with an eye, you know, that they're, they're kids, like, oh, my, they're dyslexic, and they go onto the internet, and there's like, there's a million things thrown at them. It's yeah, like, no, you do not need those million things, and you just got to love them. I think it really helps. I think it's helped for, for my kids that I'm dyslexic, but I'm a writer who's, you know, just published her eighth book surprisingly, about writing. So this is a, one of the many dyslexics who's written a book on writing. So they don't think of it as a bad thing or a negative thing. And they say, oh, well, mum's got, got a career and she's financially, you know, creatively, psychologically, you know, independent. She has a very happy relationship. She's got lots of friends. So they don't see it down. If you have a child who's identified in a family where no one else is identified, I, I will give you a million bucks to say that there'll be a dyslexic in their family. Yes, One of their parents will be dyslexic for sure. We blame my dad. Sorry, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> but it seems to be, and it's myself, and then when I was diagnosed at 27, my one of my younger brothers got diagnosed as well. Yeah. And so there's definitely is that family trait with whoever yeah. you speak to that there's got to be someone, an adult, a parent or a grandparent that's had the same issues. Yeah, for sure. Well, how did you um, keep your self-esteem and confidence while you're in high school? Um, I know it's always been an issue for me. The more you get knocked down, the more you start to doubt yourself. And um, when you've got to use words all the time and we're so written-based in our society with social media and texting and everything else that, you know, for some people it's a real challenge. So how did you stay positive going growing up through high school? 
Well, I think there were two elements. I just, you know, I gravitated towards things that I enjoyed and I was good at, and they were the arts. They were music and um, anything that, you know, music, comedy, anything like that, I was really good at it and I felt very at home with. So I got, and social stuff, I was, you know, a, a, a very good daughter, I was a very good friend, I was, you know, funny, and so I got my identity there. But the other thing was that I just saw these stupid rules and stuff, and you know what, they didn't make any sense to me. The things that, you know, people going, oh, you can't spell, and, and you can't, you don't know your times tables, and I would just go big fears. Like, I just couldn't see why those things were important. So actually, I think it helped that I was um, a person who was, you know, fairly progressive and I thought very laterally and big picture and I'm quite, I I suppose I've got a a huge disrespect for authority. I'm Irish, that kind of comes genetically and so any of these things that people said, oh, you know, what, you know, why don't you know you left your own right and why can't you, you know, just do what you're told or whatever, I just kind of go, "How, how is that important? I'm a I'm I'm a good person. I'm I'm a smart person. I'm fantastic at, you know, music and comedy and knitting and cooking and so I I just didn't, uh, I I I I didn't ever try to. I was never sucked in by those ideas of how you were supposed to be, how children were supposed to be, how girls were supposed to be. I just thought that they were all just rubbish and so it was quite easy for me because I was just that kind of person who was never trying to fit in I was just very happy with who I was and just found my own way if you're trying to to fit into a chalk outline by winding yourself into a pretzel um if you're dyslexic that's going to be really hard but I was a you know I was like this you know gorgeous curvy chubby dark-haired Irish girl living growing up in the you know blonde, blue-eyed, smoking, tanned, surfy 70s. Oh, it wouldn't have mattered what I would have done. I was never going to be able to fit into that. I was never going to be able to wind myself into a pretzel enough. So it was quite liberating because I just found my own way. I suppose one of the ways I could probably explain it is that um, straights are very, very uptight about sex and relationships. And I think it's because... We've seen straight relationships being represented in the media and storytelling and, uh, you know, around us for years and years. They were the predominant, they were the only narrative we saw for a long time. Now, if you were a a kid growing up GLBTIQ back then, not so much now, but back then, you would have seen, like, you know, marriage and man and wife and proposing and all this kind of stuff and just going, that is not for me. And so you never tried to wind yourself into a straight person, right. you would just go, I'm going to need to find an alternative. I can't see one. I'm just going to have to make one and see, and hopefully find my own tribe. And I think that that's how my, my dyslexia has informed that way that I am, but also that way that I am has helped my life, I think, be more simple with dyslexia. But anyone I know who's dyslexic is a lateral thinker and is not a rule follower. No, it must be really a dyslexic trait. We were talking about that it the is. other day because I had so many parking and speeding fines that I'm now really conformed to trying to make sure I don't get those. Um, but I was saying I just I don't understand why I have to conform to these rules all the time. Mm. And it's mm. um, interesting that you say that as well because it seems to be a bit of a dyslexic trait. It is in my family with my younger brother and 
for girls, I wonder if it's not so bad, but for boys, whether that can end up leading them if they have troubles at school and they don't want to conform or they have trouble conforming that ends them up in a different path that's not so positive. I think, Shay, it depends where the kid is at school. Like, my kids go to school in the city north in Melbourne, extremely progressive area, and they all, when Dom was identified as being dyslexic when he was 10 or so, you know, they were saying, on, oh, what about the bullying? How's that going? It's like, what bullying? You know, there was no certain way to be. You know, like, my sons have never followed football. They're very, you know, they're kind of kids who want to kind of talk about politics and drink cups of coffee and talk about the arts. And they're not interested. They're not that typical male stereotype, Australian male, young boy, let's get drunk and, you know, mm. and go out and crack onto chicks and, you know, and then play football on somebody's front lawn. They're not that kind of kid. So I think Dom is definitely, I mean, I see him as a really very regular 18-year-old. Some people would say that he was nonconformist. But um, in the inner north, everyone seems to be nonconforming, which which I think makes them conforming in the end. But if you're a dyslexic boy growing up in the country... Um, and not wanting to play footy and, you know, go do circle work in your youths and, you know, do, do, do the drags up and down, you know, Main Street and all that kind of stuff, that would be harder. So perhaps another good thing for dyslexics is for them to be in an air, uh, be in um, a, a, a diversity is probably very good for dyslexics because there's, because there's lots of different nationalities, genders, sexualities, ways of thinking, abilities... Um, they will find their place within it. If there is only if there's one set of rules about how you are, you know how kids are supposed to be, or males or females or whatever, that will be much harder for dyslexics because we are not rule followers and we're not we're not the, the like a cookie cutter babushka doll. No, we're definitely people. not. Yeah, we we just we do things our own way. I mean, I was always told that I was. You know, bull of the gate and and all of yes. those kind of things, very impatient. But there were just so many things growing up that I just didn't understand and they were so unnecessary. And I was told by people that I would, when I grew up, I would understand why they did things like, you know, had to work in an office nine to five or iron tea towels or why women changed their names to their husbands and the kids all had the names of the dad. And they told me, oh, when you're older, you, you'll understand it. It's like, no, no. I'm 47 now, and I still don't get that. So um, I could see things. There was a lot of things that I could see. I had a lot of insight into bigger picture things whenever it was saying, oh, this is a done thing. As soon as people said, this is just the way, you know, this is a done thing, and sit like a lady, and this is what's expected, and that's, you know, you should show respect to the, you know, the elders, and, you know, this is a priest, he's a nice guy, and this is a cop, you can trust him. It's just like... Nah, 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 that just doesn't work for me. But it might be worth noting that in, like, you know, I almost failed Year 12 English, and not only have I just put out a new book called Use Your Words about um, writing, that um, something that I wrote was used on the Year 12 exam two years ago, two or three years ago. So I would have, you know, Year 12 English that I almost failed, now they're using things that I've written for that. But I think that that shows... So, when you do exams and go through academia, it's about, you know, ticking off the criteria wow. and following rules and providing what they ask from you. 
And that's not what writing generally is about, if you're talking about creative writing. And I talk to teachers who've got dyslexic, amazing dyslexic writers in their English classes. It's really hard for them because they've got to kind of corral that into essay writing and they're desperate not to drive the love of writing and story and words out of these kids because the, the... wonderful creative writing piece that they use of mine in the year 12 exam if I'd written that as a response to to an essay question that I've been asked I would have failed but then I've written this wonderful creative train of thought piece which is used in the exam and the response what they're looking for to mark people on is a template and a criteria the the markers will sit down there looking they're going have they what is this essay structure like have they answered this question have they you know ticking off this criteria so it's very different the idea of you know writing in academia Mm. and that was for me when I went back to high school after I'd found out I was dyslexic and I said to my English teacher I'm dyslexic how did you never pick it up she said but you were such a great writer Mm. and I said yes creatively but if I had to sit down and write something that needed structure or um, correct grammar, that's where, you know, everything started to go amiss. Mm. Well, you, but you are, you, you would have, I'm sure you're a great writer. People say to me, how can you be a writer and be dyslexic? And I always think, how can you be a writer without dyslexia? Like, it's a huge benefit. It is for the creative side, isn't it? But in mm. my work, when I've had to write the structure of policies and because mm. I've come from health, it's, um, it can be a real challenge. Oh, it's a, I think it's a challenge for everyone. There's mm. very few people who just like it. And so do you love reading as much as you love no. writing? No, no. No? No. Um, never been much of a reader. don't really like it. Because um, I love reading, but writing is so not my cup of tea, even though I have to do it all the time. No, I, I really enjoy writing, but reading not so much. So have there been any key strategies that have helped you in the workplace when you have had to conform? I haven't had a workplace. I've worked for myself my whole life. Oh, so you haven't had to conform to the nine to five. No, I've never. I knew I could not do with bureaucracy, so I've always just, you know, been a freelancer. I've um, made my own living. Well, you know, worked my whole life, like since I was, you know, under twelve. Um, have been earning my own money, and I've just, yeah, worked as a comedian, worked as a writer, done my own thing. Yes, it's something I'm trying to work towards. That's for sure. What about just day to day life? Are there any? Like for me, navigating and getting lost is always a big issue, so I have to make sure I have a sat-nav or my sister on the other end of the phone. Are there any things that you've come across that um, you've found help you day-to-day? No, I suppose, like, I am in some ways very good with navigation. Like, if it's the area, very typically dyslexic, if I know... If I understand something, I can navigate it with no problem. But if it's a, if I'm if I've rented a car and I'm in another state, very difficult. Yeah. Um, but I think most people find that. Like I think that sometimes we could possibly be blaming things on dyslexia, which are just kind of things. Yeah, yeah there's 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 about eight people I know who are very very. Um, high-achieving people. One is a psychiatrist, one is a professor of neuro, uh, uh, pediatric neurology, one is a lawyer and an optometrist, one is an, a, a, um, another one's a judge, another one is an anaesthetist, and they have really bad senses of direction and they have always had really bad sense of direction. And I don't think any of them are dyslexic, yeah. but, like, super bad. Like, my son, Charlie, 
has just started it um, at um, high school this year, and it's a ride of about 30 minutes. And it took him quite a few weeks to um, to get it right, and he got lost about half a dozen times, got lost on public transport, ended up in different suburbs, and had to navigate that. So I, I, even though he is dyslexic, I don't think that that's because of the dyslexia. I think it's really uh, very common um, to have a... Um, to get lost. I've got a friend of mine, Victoria, she's also, you know, super brainy, very organised woman who always is early for everything because she gets lost all the time. Oh. I don't think she's dyslexic at all. So I think that you can't just um, assume that if you've got difficulties and you have dyslexia, you, you shouldn't correlate. You oh. know, uh, correlation does not mean causation. So I just see dyslexia, I would choose to be dyslexic. I see dyslexia as, I think that having a neurotypical brain would be so dull for me. I think that my brain and my the insides of my head are more interesting than almost any book or any television show or any film that, that I've ever seen. There's very few things that I experience that are more interested more interesting and more vibrant and more surprising than the inside of my own brain. So I'm very thankful that I'm dyslexic. I know that Dom feels the same. I think Charlie might. I'm not entirely sure. But um, I am, because I am who I am and because I don't have to work within an organisation or institution, that I'm just like, even probably before people know me or, you know, choose to come to my shows or employ me to, you know, host a conference or come to one of my gunners master classes or come to one of my comedy shows. They know what I'm they know a bit about me and so because I'm not a run of the mill um, you know, I don't have a very conventional job, they 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 are very accepting of I'll say, yeah, you know, I use whatever language I feel like, I wear whatever I want, I arrive on a bicycle, I'm dyslexic and I'm not at all apologetic about it, but I might explain it. I might say oh, I don't know my left from my right. So things that I'm navigating, if I do say left, you know, I'll also point to the direction I'm talking about yeah. because it mightn't be left at all. Because Anthony will say, this is my partner. I'll be saying, go left, and he'll say this way, and I go, no, that way. He'll say, that's right. So I just, I know to warn people. Yes. Um, and never, ever, never explain, never apologise. Don't apologise about your spelling. Don't apologise about your reading aloud. If you do have to read something aloud, um, most dyslexics really snag when they and are, are quite stilted when they read aloud um, something, if you have to present something, um, read it aloud over and over, particularly while walking around is a huge help. Mm-hmm. Also use the text-to-speech app, which, mm-hmm. I use, uh, which I use all the time, which is in my computer, where you just highlight the words that you've typed out and it just reads it to you so that your brain gets to know what word to expect so they don't so your your mouth and your brain don't freak out when they get to the word so if i'm doing stand up i'll just learn that off by heart but yeah. if i'm doing something like um a keynote or a eulogy or um, a debate something that i'm not going to learn absolutely off by heart I will write it, write it, write it, write it, and then I'll put it on the text-to-speech and it will read it to me over and over so my brain gets to know the order of the words so I have I can present it much more smoothly and I almost don't have to look at the pieces of paper. But I, then if I do that, the, my presentation comes across as a fairly neurotypical person. Yeah. 
And that's a great tip. That's one I try to use as well. But that's some really good information for our listeners. So thank you so much for oh, your time today. It's a pleasure. I love I love being in the D squad. One of my friends on Facebook the other day, who's very high profile, he's a newsreader, he said, you know, calling someone a disabled person, you know, you have to call disabled people with disabilities because if you don't, it's like calling someone with a broken arm a broken person. And I didn't get onto that thread, but I did think afterwards, I totally disagree. I am not, you know, people said, oh, well, let my disability define me. It's like I am dyslexic. I'm not at all ashamed of that. I strongly identify as a dyslexic. I'm proud and happy to be a dyslexic, actually. I don't want to be defined, I don't want to be described as a person with dyslexic. It's, I am a feminist. I am an atheist. I am dyslexic. I am a mother. I am a writer. I am a partner. I am a dog owner. I'm a Melbourneian. I'm very happy to um, not have that separated from, you know, oh, I'm a person with. So I really strongly identify as, um, as a dyslexic and a cyclist. And that's really interesting because that's, I'm always very much about, I am dyslexic, it doesn't really matter. Um, and some of the discussions I'm hoping to have is around that disclosure and that, those conversations. But that leaves us on a really, really positive note. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Anytime. I look forward to talking to you in the future. Love to. Thanks so much. To find out more about Catherine, her upcoming shows, classes and books, you can go to www.catherinedevenet.com. I look forward to speaking to you all again next time. Until then, bye for now. Oh, wow.